Hello and welcome to Tea in Old Books. This is day 65 of the Spanish lockdown and we are currently reading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. Spain has been in lockdown for 65 days now. That's a lot of days. When I started this podcast, I thought that maybe I would finish one book. I was like, I will read it every day. And then in a couple of weeks time, I will have read one book and we'll be back out again. Everything will be fine. And of course, that didn't happen. We're now 65 days in and this is the third book. I've now done two and a half books because we're about halfway through 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, it's a lot. I mean, I probably, to be honest, if I'd realised this was going to go on for so long, I probably would have done once a week rather than every day because every day is quite a lot of reading aloud books in my bedroom. But it's been a lot of fun. So, you know, it's given me something to do. It's helping me keep track of the days because I would have no idea how many days I've been locked in. I am losing all sense of time and this podcast is the only thing that's keeping me on track of what day it is at this point. Now, before I go in any further into the into 20,000 Leagues, let's talk about my tea. So today I am drinking a fennel tea. Ooh, fennel. Fennel is supposedly good for digestion. I have no way of verifying that really. I'm going to drink it. It's quite nice. It tastes kind of aniseedy. I only have one of this type of tea because I just found a random tea bag in my tea box. I have no idea where it came from, but if I was to hazard a guess, I probably stole it from a hotel because when you go to a hotel, they have teas. I tend to raid those teas and put them in my suitcase for later. So that's probably where that came from. Now, yesterday's episode ended on a very exciting point because Pierre, Conseil and Nedland have been locked into like their cell type room that they got put into when they first arrived on the Nautilus and they ate a meal and then they all fell unconscious because somebody had drugged their meal. So I think this episode we're going to get the fallout of that drugging. I imagine they're all going to be very annoyed. I'd be pretty annoyed if someone drugged my breakfast. I mean, you need to be able to trust your food. And if people are just throwing random drugs into it, you just can't. How can you enjoy your meal after that? After somebody has knocked you unconscious with your breakfast? It's terrible. Ah, Nemo, what are you doing? Now, like I said yesterday, I think that the reason he knocked them all unconscious was that he's attacking ships and he doesn't want them to know that. Um, Pierre's going to be very heartbroken when he finds this out because obviously he's got a massive crush on Nemo and this is going to destroy the hero worship that he's building up when he finds out that Nemo is murderous and has been killing everyone. Let's continue reading. So we are now on chapter 23 and I can report fairly excitingly-ish. This is the last chapter of part one. So tomorrow we're going to read part two. And I have a surprise, which I'm not going to ruin now. 
You'll have to wait till tomorrow to find out. But it's going to be exciting. I can promise you that. So let's read chapter three. The Coral Kingdom. The next day, I woke with my head singularly clear. To my great surprise, I was in my own room, pausing, what ho, someone has carried him to his bedroom while he was unconscious. Hmm, was it a nameless servant or was it Nemo himself? I think it was Nemo. Let's carry on reading. My companions, no doubt, had been reinstated in their cabin without having perceived it any more than I. Of what had passed during the night, they were as ignorant as I was, and to penetrate this mystery, I only reckoned upon the chances of the future. I then thought of quitting my room. Was I free again, or a prisoner? Quite free. I opened the door, went to the half-deck, went up the central stairs. The panels, shut the evening before, were open. I went onto the platform. Ned Land and Conciel waited there for me. Just pausing again briefly, just to intersect again the story. I like how Ned Land is always referred to as Ned Land. He always has both names, but Conciel only has one name. Conciel has no other names. Ned Land is never just Ned. He's never like Mr. Land. He's always Ned Land and Conciel. Let's carry on. I questioned them. They knew nothing. Lost in a heavy sleep in which they had been totally unconscious, they had been astonished at finding themselves in their cabin. As for the Nautilus, it seemed quiet and mysterious as ever. It floated on the surface of the waves at a moderate pace. Nothing seemed changed on board. The second lieutenant then came onto the platform and gave the usual order below. As for Captain Nemo, he did not appear. Of the people on board, I only saw the impassive steward who served me with his usual dumb regular regularity. About two o'clock, I was in the drawing room, busied in arranging my notes, when the captain opened the door and appeared. I bowed. He made a slight inclination in return, without speaking. I resumed my work, hoping that he would perhaps give me some explanation of the events of the preceding night. He made none. I looked at him. He seemed fatigued. His heavy eyes had not been refreshed by sleep. His face looked very sorrowful. He walked to and fro, sat down and got up again, took a chance book, put it down, consulted his instruments without taking his habitual notes, and seemed restless and uneasy. At last, he came up to me and said, Are you a doctor? Monsieur Aranet. I so little expected such a question that I stared some time at him without answering. Are you a doctor? he repeated. Several of your colleagues have studied medicine. Well, said I, I am a doctor and a resident surgeon to the hospital. I practiced several years before entering the museum. Okay, just pausing there. What? What? I thought he was like a naturalist. He's also a doctor? Is that common? Is that a common thing that you would study medicine and then you'd be like, ah, I have conquered medicine. Now I shall study the natural world of plants and fish. I mean, what? 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 Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm just so stunned by that revelation that came from nowhere. 
man just like what this is like gentlemen just like i'll just do everything all the jobs are mine like nobody else gets to have a profession because i am having them all i will have all the degrees and all the work <laughs> sorry carrying on oh my goodness very well sir my answer had evidently satisfied the captain but not knowing what he would say next i waited for other questions reserving my answers according to circumstances Monsieur Aranet, will you consent to prescribe for one of my men? he asked. Is he ill? Yes. I am ready to follow you. Come then. I own my heart beat. I do not know why. I saw certain connection between the illness of one of the crew and the events of the day before, and this mystery interested me at least as much as the sick man. Captain Nemo conducted me to the poop of the Nautilus and took me into a cabin situated near the sailors' quarters. There, on a bed, lay a man about forty years of age with a resolute expression of countenance, a true type of Anglo-Saxon. I leant over him. He was not only ill, he was wounded. His head, swathed in bandages covered with blood, lay on a pillow. I undid the bandages, and the wounded man looked at me with his large eyes, and gave no sign of pain as I did it. It was a horrible wound. The skull, shattered by some deadly weapon, left the brain exposed, which was much injured. Clots of blood had formed in the bruised and broken mass, in colour like the dregs of wine. There was both a contusion and suffusion of the brain. His breathing was slow, and some spasmodic movements of the muscles agitated his face. I felt his pulse. It was intermittent. The extremities of the body were growing cold already, and I saw death must inevitably ensue. After dressing the unfortunate man's wounds, I readjusted the bandages on his head and turned to Captain Nemo. "'What caused this wound?' I asked. "'What does it signify?' he replied evasively. A shock has broken one of the levers of the engine, which struck myself. But your opinion as to his state? I hesitated before giving it. You may speak, said the captain. This man does not understand French. I gave a last look at the wounded man. He will be dead in two hours. Can nothing save him? Nothing. Captain Nemo's hand contracted, and some tears glistened in his eyes, which I thought incapable of shedding any. For some moments I still watched the dying man, whose life ebbed slowly. His pallor increased under the electric light that was shed over his deathbed. I looked at his intelligent forehead, furrowed with premature wrinkles, produced probably by misfortune and sorrow. I tried to learn the secret of his life from the last words that escaped his lips. "'You can go now, Monsieur Aranet,' said the captain. I left him in the dying man's cabin and returned to my room, much affected by this scene. During the whole day I was haunted by uncomfortable suspicions, and at night I slept badly, and between my broken dreams I fancied I heard distant sighs like the notes of a funeral psalm. Were they the prayers of the dead, murmured in that language I could not understand? The next morning I went onto the bridge. Captain Nemo was there before me. As soon as he perceived me, he came to me. Professor, will it be convenient for you to make will it be convenient to you to make a submarine excursion today? With my companions? I asked. If they like. We obey your orders, Captain. Will you be so good then as to put on your cork jackets? 
It was not a question of dead or dying. I rejoined Ned Land and Conseil and told them of Captain Nemo's proposition. Conseil hastened to accept it, and this time the Canadian seemed quite willing to follow our example. It was eight o'clock in the morning. At half past eight, we were equipped for this new excursion and provided with two contrivances for light and breathing. The double door was open and accompanied by Captain Nemo, who was followed by a dozen of the crew, we set foot at a depth of about 30 feet on the solid bottom on which the Nautilus rested. A slight declivity ended in an uneven bottom at 15 fathoms depth. This bottom differed entirely from the one I had visited on my first excursion under the waters of the Pacific Ocean. Here there was no fine sand, no submarine prairies, no sea forest. I immediately recognised that marvellous region in which, on that day, the captain did the honours to us. It was the Coral Kingdom. The light produced a thousand charming varieties, playing in the midst of the branches that were so vividly coloured. I seemed to see the membranous and cylindrical tubes tremble beneath the undulation of the waters. I was tempted to gather their fresh petals ornamented with delicate tentacles, some just blown, the others budding, while a small fish, swimming swiftly, touched them slightly, like flights of birds. But if my hand approached these living flowers, these animated, sensitive plants, the whole colony took alarm. The white petals re-entered their red cases, the flowers faded as I looked, and the bush changed into a block of stony knobs. Chance had thrown me just by the most precious specimens of the zoophyte. This coral was more valuable than that found in the Mediterranean, on the coasts of France, Italy and Barbary. Its tints justified the poetical names of flower of blood and froth of blood that trade has given to its most beautiful productions. Coral is sold for L20 per ounce, and in this place the watery beds would make the fortunes of a company of coral divers. This precious matter, often confused with other polypi, formed then the inextricable plots called machiota, and on which I noticed several beautiful specimens of pink coral. But soon the bushes contract, and the arborsarians increase. Real petrified thickets, long joints of fantastic architecture, were disclosed before us. Captain Nemo placed himself under a dark galley, where, by a slight declivity, we reached a depth of a hundred yards. The light from our lamps produced sometimes magical effects, following the rough outlines of the natural arches and pendants, disposed like lustres, that were tipped with points of fire. At last, after walking two hours, we had attained a depth of about three hundred yards, that is to say, the extreme limit on which coral begins to form. But there was no isolated bush, nor modest brushwood, at the bottom of lofty trees. It was an immense forest of large mineral vegetations, enormous petrified trees, united by garlands of elegant sea bindweed, all adorned with clouds and reflections. We passed freely under their high branches, lost in the shade of the waves. Captain Nemo had stopped. I and my companions halted and turning round I saw his men were forming a semicircle round their chief. Watching attentively I observed that four of them carried on their shoulders an object of an oblong shape. 
we occupied in this place the centre of a vast glade surrounded by the lofty foliage of the submarine forest. Our lamps threw over this place a sort of clear twilight that singular, singularly elongated the shadows on the ground. At the end of the glade the darkness increased and was only relieved by little sparks reflected by the points of coral. Ned Land and Conciel were near me. We watched, and I thought I was going to witness a strange scene. On observing the ground, I saw that it was raised in certain places by slight excrescences encrusted with limy deposits and disposed with a regularity that betrayed the hand of man. In the midst of the glade, on a pedestal, pedestal of rocks, roughly piled up, stood a cross of coral that extended its long arms that one might have thought were made of petrified blood. Upon a sign from Captain Nemo, one of the men advanced, and at some feet from the cross, he began to dig a hole with a pickaxe that he took from his belt. I understood all. This glade was a cemetery, this hole a tomb, this oblong object the body of the man who had died in the night. The captain and his men had come to bury their companion in this general resting place at the bottom of this inaccessible ocean. The grave was being dug slowly. The fish fled on all sides while their retreat was thus disturbed. I heard the strokes of the pickaxe, which sparkled when it hit upon some flint lost at the bottom of the waters. The hole was soon large and deep enough to receive the body. Then the bearers approached. The body, enveloped in a tissue of white linen, was lowered into the damp grave. Captain Nemo, with his arms crossed on his breast, and all the friends of him who had loved them, knelt in prayer. The grave was then filled in with the rubbish taken from the ground, which formed a slight mound. When this was done, Captain Nemo and his men rose. Then, approaching the grave, they knelt again, and all extended their hands in sign of a last adieu. Then the funeral procession returned to the Nautilus, passing under the arches of the forest, in the midst of thickets, along the coral bushes, and still in the ascent. At last the light of the ship appeared, and its luminous track guided us to the Nautilus. At one o'clock we had returned. As soon as I had changed my clothes, I went up onto the platform, and, a prey to conflicting emotions, I sat down near the binnacle. Captain Nemo joined me. I rose and said to him, So, as I said he would, this man died in the night? Yes, Monsieur Arane. And he rests now near his companions in the coral cemetery? Yes, forgotten by all else, but not by us. We dug the grave, and the Pilipi undertake to seal our dead for eternity. And, burying his face quickly in his hands, he tried in vain to suppress a sob. Then he added, our peaceful cemetery is there, some hundred feet below the surface of the waves. Your dead sleep quietly, at least, Captain, out of the reach of sharks. Yes, sir, of sharks and men, gravely replied the captain. Oh, it's the end of the chapter! Well, that ended quite grimly. So one of his men has died and has been buried in a cemetery, along with other men, presumably. So... Still, I'm still unclear on what's in it for the men who worked for Nemo in this story. Like, they just have to live with him on a submarine forever until they die, and then they get buried in, like, a pile of coral at the bottom of the sea. And... I, 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 who knows? Ooh. So, 
we've had a mysterious death. So I was surprised to discover that Pierre is in fact a medical doctor, but he is a medical doctor apparently, and he was t what, taken to assess this crew member who has a massive hole in his head with his brain you know, sticking out, and so Pierre's like, he's definitely dying, there's nothing I can do. And he's just, and he's died. Now, what caused that injury? Some explosions, I mean, Nemo said that he got hit by something as well, so something's exploded. So I think that maybe they engaged in battle with another ship and, like, got torpedoed, or not torpedoed, because they didn't have torpedoes, but something similar, you know, harpooned again, maybe. Um, and one of his crew members has died. I like that he's that he's crying. I like that he's in touch with his emotions, this Captain Nemo. I mean, if he wasn't going around killing people, I'd be very much on board with him. I mean, you know, he... I like I like his ethics as, as a captain and as a man. I mean, maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe he's not going around murdering everyone on, on ships. But I'm pretty sure he is. Hmm. So that was the end of part one. It's still pretty, <coughs> excuse me. I was expecting something a bit more momentous to happen at the end of part one. I mean, I guess we've got a mysterious event and a death. So that kind of, that is quite, that is something. Um, but I was expecting Pierre to find something a bit more concrete, a bit more, you know, sort of like, I was expecting to find some evidence of what Captain Nemo was up to and then part two to be about him sort of uncovering that more. But I guess that's not gonna happen. So part two, chapter one, is called The Indian Ocean. I'm not going to read it now. We will be reading it tomorrow. And yes, let us find out then what, what will happen. I'm going to stop reading and continue tomorrow. I wish you all the best and join me for tomorrow's episode where we will start part two and continue reading 20,000 leagues under the sea. Good night.